Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight's story, The Thorny Road of Honor, by Hans Christian Andersen. An old story yet lives of the thorny road of honor, of a marksman who indeed attained to rank and office, but only after a lifelong and weary strife against difficulties. Who has not, in reading this story, thought of his own strife and of his own numerous difficulties? The story is very closely akin to reality, but still it has its harmonious explanation here on Earth. While reality often points beyond the confines of life to the regions of eternity, the history of the world is like a magic lantern that displays to us, in light pictures upon the dark ground of the present, how the benefactors of mankind, the martyrs of genius, wandered along the thorny road of honor. From all periods and from every country, these shining pictures display themselves to us. Each only appears for a few moments, but each represents a whole life, sometimes a whole age, with its conflicts and victories. Let us contemplate here and there one of the company of martyrs, the company which will receive new members until the world itself shall pass away. We look down upon a crowded amphitheater. Out of the clouds of Aristophanes, satire and humor are pouring down in streams upon the audience. On the stage, Socrates, the most remarkable man in Athens, and who had been the shield and defense of the people against the thirty tyrants, is held up mentally and bodily to ridicule. Socrates, who saved Alcibiades and Xenophon in the turmoil of battle, and whose genius soared far above the gods of the ancients. He himself is present. He is risen from the spectator's bench. And a step forward that the laughing Athenians may well appreciate the likeness between himself and the caricature on stage. There he stands before them, towering high above them all. Thou juicy, green, poisonous hemlock, throw thy shadow over Athens, not thou, olive tree of fame. Seven cities contended for the honor of giving birth to Homer. That is to say, they contended after his death. Let us look at him as he was in his lifetime. He wanders on foot through the cities and recites his verses for a livelihood. The thought for the morrow turns his hair gray. The great seer is blind and painfully pursues his way. The sharp thorn tears the mantle of the king of poets. His song yet lives, and through that alone live all the heroes and gods of antiquity. One picture after another springs up from the east, from the West, far removed from each other in time and place, and yet each one forming a portion of the thorny road of honor, on which the thistle indeed displays a flower, but only to adorn the grave. The camels pass along under the palm trees. They are richly laden with indigo and other treasures of value, sent by the ruler of the land to him whose songs are the delight of the people, the fame of the country. He whom envy and falsehood have driven into exile has been found, and a caravan approaches the little town in which he has taken refuge. A poor corpse is carried out of the town gate, and the funeral procession causes the caravan to halt 
The dead man is he whom they have sent to seek, Ferdusi, who has wandered the thorny road of honor even to the end. The African, with blunt features and woolly hair, sits on the marble steps of the palace in the capital of Portugal and begs. He is the submissive slave of Camons, and but for him, and for the copper coins thrown to him by the passers-by, his master, the poet of the Luisidad, would die of hunger. Now a costly monument marks the grave of Camon. There is a new picture. Behind the iron grating a man appears, pale as death, with long, unkempt beard. I have made a discovery, he says. The greatest that has been made for centuries, and they have kept me locked up here for more than twenty years. Who is the man? A madman, replies the keeper of the madhouse. What whimsical ideas these lunatics have. He imagines that one can propel things by means of steam. It is Solomon Descartes, the discoverer of the power of steam, whose theory, expressed in dark words, is not understood by Richelieu, and he dies in a madhouse. Here stands Columbus, whom the street boys used once to follow and jeer because he wanted to discover a new world, and he has discovered it. Shouts of joy greet him from the breasts of all, and the clash of bells sounds to celebrate his triumphant return, but the clash of the bells of envy soon drowns the others. The discoverer of a world, he who lifted the American gold land from the sea and gave it to its king, he is rewarded with iron chains. He wishes that these chains may be placed in his coffin, for lay witness to the world of the way in which a man's contemporaries reward good service. One picture after another comes crowding on. The thorny path of honor and of fame is overfilled. Here in dark night sits the man who measured the mountains in the moon, he who forced his way out into the endless space, among stars and planets, he the mighty man who understood the spirit of nature and felt the earth moving beneath his feet. Galileo. Blind and deaf he sits, an old man thrust through with the spear of suffering, and amid the torments of neglect, scarcely able to lift his foot, that foot with which, in the anguish of his soul, when men denied the truth, he stamped upon the ground with the exclamation, Yet it moves! Here stands a woman of childlike mind, yet full of faith and inspiration. She carries a banner in front of the combating army and brings victory and salvation to her fatherland. The sound of shouting arises and the pile flames up. They're burning the witch, Joan of Arc. Yes, future century jeers at the white lily. Voltaire, the satyr of human intellect, writes, La Pucelle. At the thing or assembly at Viborg, the Danish nobles burn the laws of the king. They flame up high, illuminating the period and the lawgiver, and throw a glory into the dark prison tower, where an old man is growing gray and bent. With his finger, he marks out a groove in the stone table. It is the popular king who sits there, once the ruler of three kingdoms, the friend of the citizen and the peasant. It is Christian II. Enemies wrote his history. Let us remember his improvements of seven and twenty years, if we cannot forget his crime. A ship sails away, quitting the Danish shores. 
A man leans against the mast, casting a last glance toward the island Ween. It is Tycho Brahe. He raised the name of Denmark to the stars and was rewarded with injury, loss, and sorrow. He is going to a strange country. The vault of heaven is above me everywhere, he says. And what do I want more? The astronomer, to live honored and free in a strange land. I free, if only from the unbearable sufferings of the body, comes in a sigh through time and strikes upon our ear. What a picture! Griffin felt a Danish Prometheus bound to the rocky island of Moncolm. We are in America, on the margin of one of the largest rivers. An innumerable crowd is gathered, for it is said that a ship is to sail against the wind and weather, bidding defiance to the elements. The man who thinks he can solve the problem is named Robert Fulton. The ship begins its passage, but suddenly it stops. The crowd begins to laugh and whistle and hiss. The very father of the man whistles with the rest. Conceit! Foolery! is the cry. It has happened just as he deserved. Put the cracked brain under lock and key. Then suddenly a little nail breaks, which had stopped the machine for a few moments, and now the wheels turn again. The floats break the force of the waters, and the ship continues its course. And the beam of the steam engine shortens the distance between far lands from hours into minutes. O oh, human race, canst thou grasp the happiness of such a minute of consciousness? This penetration of the soul by its mission, the moment in which all dejection and every wound, even those caused by one's own fault, is changed into health and strength and clearness, when discord is converted to harmony, the minute in which men seem to recognize the manifestation of the heavenly grace in one man, and feel how this one imparts it to all. Thus the thorny path of honor shows itself as a glory, surrounding the earth with its beams. Thrice happy he who has chosen to be a wanderer there, and without merit of his own, to be placed between the builder of the bridge and the earth, between providence and the human race. On mighty wings the spirit of history floats through the ages, and shows, giving courage and comfort, and awakening gentle thoughts, on the dark nightly background, but in gleaming pictures, the thorny path of honor, which does not, like a fairy tale, end in brilliancy and joy here on earth, but stretches out beyond all time, even into eternity. So if you've been working on something and you've just been told over and over again that it will not work, keep at it. Prove them wrong. You may not have the last laugh, but you will leave a lasting legacy. We're always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature on the show. If you have a story suggestion, email bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbed. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>